Daniel 7, we'll read from verse 1 to verses 13 and 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were sitting, were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So reads the word of the living God. Paradise lost is one of the great epic poems of the English language written by John Milton in 1667. 
but paradise lost is a suitable description of life. Banished from the Garden of Eden in this fallen world, filled with thorns and thistles, tears and pain, sin and heartache, decay and death. We all know what it means to groan for glory as natural born descendants of Adam. But you should know John Milton's follow up to the tragic Paradise Lost was the triumphant, hopeful work of Paradise Regained. And far more important for you to know is that the scriptures we have opened before us reveal God's story and work of redemption. And that redemption centers on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, which we read of in Revelation 1, who was descended from heaven to reconcile, regain, and renew all that was lost. Rightly so, Jesus has many names and titles attributed to him in Scripture. Lord, the Word, the Lamb, the Bread of Life, the Good Shepherd, the Prince of Peace, and many others. But Jesus self-identified most with the title Son of Man. And Daniel 7 will help us to see why and to answer in full the crowd's question of John 12, 34. Who is this Son of Man? Contextually speaking, Daniel wrote this book to an exiled Israel, a people born into a paradise lost and a people who had just lost the promised land. The book is good news that God sovereignly reigns over history in all human kingdoms. And in the end, only God's kingdom will remain where the son of man will reign with his saints. So, what Daniel seen by way of vision, may we see in this text by way of faith. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, sets our gaze upon the royal glory of the Son of Man, King Jesus. This text is setting our gaze upon the royal glory of the Son of Man, King Jesus. And it is my prayer that in gazing upon his glory, our faith would be strengthened, our hope reassured, and our love deepened. So look with me to verse 13, the first of two headings, the glory of his coming, the glory of his coming. Daniel 7, 13 begins with, I saw in the night visions. Let's pause here. What's going on at this point in this chapter is extraordinary amidst the everyday ordinary. Last night at some point, you laid down in your bed to go to sleep, right? In verse 1 of chapter 7, it tells us Daniel did the same. When revelatory supernatural dreams and visions from God disrupted his dozing off. It's a good thing Hebrews 1 tells us long ago in many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. When he's last days, he's spoken to us by his son. You most likely won't go to sleep tonight and experience this. But coming into Daniel 7, this vision of the Son of Man in verses 13 and 14 
is the culmination, not the beginning of Daniel's vision, as we've read. It's a multi-layered vision. And this vision, if we read closely, began with the winds of heaven, stirring up the sea. And four animals, or beasts they're called, rising up from the sea in chaos and rebellion. And then the beasts are judged by God, the ancient of days, in verses 9 through 12. This multi-layered vision from God looks forward to what is to come. These four beasts have been understood to refer chronologically to evil kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then the Roman Empire, who would be judged by God and their kingdoms won't stand. But this vision also looks back and has the backdrop of Genesis 1. Remember the first chapter of our Bible? Beginning with the heavens and the spirit hovering over the waters like the wind. Beasts that were crafted from the created order and then culminating with man. In Genesis 1, the culmination was Adam, whose dominion was usurped by the serpent beast of the field. But in Daniel 7, the culmination is with the Son of Man. Look back with me to verse 13 to see the glory of the Son of Man's coming. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. Stop here for now. Here we see the Son of Man enter into the heavenly court and throne room. And notice the text says, with the clouds of heaven. With these words, this this entrance is undeniably and divinely glorious, according to the Old Testament witness. Daniel is telling us, I've seen this figure doing something only God can do. I'm seeing someone be where only God can be. Humans live and travel by walking upright, or bikes, cars, or the plane. How we move betrays our nature. Sea creatures live and travel by the sea. Judges walk up and sit on the judge's bench. But God alone moves with the clouds. Psalm 104, verse 3, he makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on wings of the wind. Psalm 19, Isaiah 19, verse 1, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, And the clouds are the dust of his feet. The beast of Daniel 7 were dragged into the heavenly courtroom like guilty criminals being dragged into their judgment. But the coming of the Son of Man gloriously captures Daniel's gaze and should ours by faith because we're beholding one like no other man. He who eternally and fully shares the divine nature with God, the Ancient of Days, and the Spirit of the Lord. The Son of Man is not merely a man, but eternally the Son of God, who we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Distinct in person, but undivided in divine glory from God the Father and God the Spirit. This is why Jesus in the Gospels speaks of himself as the Son of Man. Who has descended from heaven. Who has authority to forgive sinners, people like you and me. Only God can do that. 
Jesus says of himself that the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath and of angels. The Son of Man is the Christ, the Spirit-anointed Son from the Father, and will in his second coming come to earth riding on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, the glory of his Father. And this is because the Son of Man is God, the only begotten Son of God, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. His everlasting existence and his coming is glorious indeed, and I pray by God's grace, whether anew or fresh, you have eyes of faith to see him this morning. Let's look back to verse 13. Daniel says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Daniel asserts the word like here because the clouds show this one to be divine, as as we've established. But the beautiful reality is that this one is in a real way like us. Throughout the Old Testament, son of man simply meant human being and can be translated son of Adam. The first man who was made by God from the ground. For example, in Ezekiel chapter two, verse one, when God's calling him to ministry, it says, and he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. Or David in Psalm chapter 8 verse 4 says, What is man that you were mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Daniel sees a type of divine humanity. Or as Colossians 2.9 says, the fullness of deity in bodily form. Or the living word made flesh. So this multi-layered vision of Daniel's that looks forward to the future but with the backdrop of Genesis 1, culminates with this divine one who is like a son of man. And this shows that Daniel is beholding the glory of the second Adam, the seed of the woman who crushes the head of Satan, the second Adam who reverses the fall, who regains, reconciles, and and renews paradise lost the seed of Abraham, the kingly son of David. Because of the failure of Adam and Eve, we are all born sinners by nature and choice without hope of reconciling ourselves to God. Therefore, in order to be redeemed and reconciled to God, we need a second Adam with a real human nature, yet without sin who can fulfill God's law and bear our curse in death with the power to rise again. When your car battery dies, unfortunate, it always is. When your car battery dies, you don't need more gas or call the painter because you need a new paint job. You need another car battery that replaces and renews life to the car. Likewise, for redemption from sin and spiritual life from death, it's not about you working hard or being religious enough. We need a second Adam to redeem us and to restore created order. And this second Adam came in the Lord Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man, in the fullness of time, sent from the Father, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the good news of the gospel. We're really seeing in this passage the gospel according to Daniel. The one we need has come. 
the Son of God became a Son of Man so that men and women can become sons and daughters of God. When you in faith trust Christ and repent of your sins, your law-breaking sins against a holy God. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. He humbled himself, and at times the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head on this very earth so that he could fulfill the law of God that you and I have failed to keep. The law of God requires perfect, perpetual, precise obedience. And Christ and his beautiful life perfectly fulfilled the law in our place. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in infinite grace, mercy, and love, after his perfect, pristine life, the Lord Jesus laid down his life as a substitute upon the cross. He took upon himself divine wrath and judgment that you might be forgiven, saved, reconciled, redeemed, adopted by God. And he rose on the third day with complete victory and vindication and lives in this very moment as our mediator, our advocate, our all-sufficient Savior for all who would believe in Him. And Jesus said, if you are here today without Christ, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The, the, the Lord Jesus said, if you are weary and burdened by the law and by your sins before a holy God, come to me and you will find rest. Rest for your soul. There are two types of people in this world. People who are in Adam, lost in their sin, or people who are in Christ, the second Adam. By free grace, redeemed and reconciled to God. This is the good news of the gospel, my friends. The first Adam failed in his work. The second Adam said it is finished upon the cross. The first Adam plunged us into sin by disobedience, eating fruit from the tree. The second Adam was obedient to the point of death and died upon the tree of the cross. The first Adam failed his bride. But the second Adam... The second Adam loved and died for his bride with overflowing grace. Come to Christ today if you do not know this marvelous Savior who we have come to treasure, worship, and love today. Let nothing hold you back. See his glory in the gospel, in the good news set before you. And by simple trust and faith, behold him, embrace him. And as Daniel has seen him by way of vision, may you see him by way of faith in the gospel. The sin you may be afraid to lose is a delight to dismiss when you embrace him in all of his fullness. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the son of man, the son of God, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming is glorious. And if you come to him, he will receive you. The son of man's coming is glorious because he comes as the second Adam who brings triumph, not tragedy. And he reverses the fall. Look back with me to verse 13. It continues and says, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Up until this point in chapter 7, every beast kingdom in Daniel 7 was judged by God. For no one could stand before the holy throne of judgment on their own and not be judged. In the same way that none of us apart from Christ can stand before God and live. We need a representative. We need a mediator. Thus far in Daniel 7, coming before the ancient of days is like being sent to the principal's office or summoned to go to HR. 
It's usually not good. But the Son of Man's coming before the Ancient of Days is glorious. See it in the text. He comes not for judgment, but for coronation. In other words, enthronement to the kingdom of God itself. Since the Son of Man is the Son of God in the second Adam. In light of verse 13, by way of application, I exhort and and encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to recognize anew for some of you and afresh for you today, church. Recognize your need for the Lord Jesus, but also rejoice in faith, hope, and love that we have a Savior so sufficient for all of our needs. He is our all in all, all that's needed and all that's necessary. Jesus is enough. I encourage you to treasure the humanity of Jesus. And that may sound odd to you, but Jesus is truly God for sure, eternally so, and truly man. It's the point of the incarnation as you read scripture, pray, fellowship with one another, and contemplate Christ in your heart. Treasure the humanity of Jesus. Because of his humanity, we have a representative under the law who has fulfilled all righteousness. We have a substitute sacrifice upon the cross. We have a risen mediator. We have a high priest who is tempted in every way and yet without sin. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And how often throughout the week do you feel weak? We have a high priest who lovingly intercedes for us without end. And as one who was called in Isaiah a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, let us treasure the whole person of Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. May we treasure him and tell others about him. Because every single person you meet, you know that you see, is born in Adam. A sinner by nature and choice in need of the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. When we treasure him deeply, we will live for him gladly. May we be a people who treasure the Lord Jesus. Daniel seven thirteen and 14 sets our gaze upon the royal glory of the Son of Man, King Jesus, having seen the glory of his coming in verse 13, let us come to verse 14, the glory of his kingdom. The glory of his kingdom. The book of Daniel is all about God's sovereignty, rising up and bringing down kings, which is true to this very moment. And in the end, only the kingdom of God will reign and remain. This is very Good news and timely for the people of God in Daniel's time because they were in exile. Daniel's showing them in this vision that the Davidic hope of the king still remains. But is also encouraging us, it is also encouraging for us today, church. Because we live swimming against stream, swimming against the stream in this godless world. Verse 14 points us towards God's everlasting kingdom and the Son of Man who is our king, the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. We'll stop there. Contextually to Daniel 7, one key difference is that the Son of Man is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. The four beasts and the evil earthly kingdoms were characterized by chaos, 
in rebellion, and they had their dominion taken away. But the Son of Man is the God-ordained King, the rightful King, and the King we've all been waiting for since the Garden of Eden. Look with me to verse 14 and see this word dominion. And to him was given dominion. This speaks to a royal authority that should take us back once again to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 28. Genesis 1 reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.27 speaks of God making us in his image. In the image of God, he created us, both male and female, he created them. And in Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This reinforces the truth that the Son of Man Namely, Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He's not only the savior redeemer who reverses the fall, but the everlasting king who will bring God's kingdom back to his creation in all its fullness. The word dominion in the book of Daniel has been used to speak of God's never ending dominion in chapter four, verse 32. And chapter 4, verse 32 says that God will give dominion to whom he will. And here he is giving it to the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. Eternally, the kingdom of God is given to King Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And that's why in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says, speaking of the future, he will sit on his glorious throne. There have been 46 presidents in the United States There were 70 emperors in the Roman Empire. There were 170 pharaohs about in ancient Egypt. I tell you that because all human dynasties, empires, and countries face change due to policy or mortality. But in the kingdom of God, there is and will always be one king. The King of Kings, Jesus Christ, there is no term limit and he is alive forevermore, as we see in Revelation 1, with a never ending dominion. Think of that, Christian, when you're frustrated with human leaders. Christ's dominion will be the reward of our souls. Verse 14 then says that he was given glory and a kingdom. The Son of Man receives glory from God, honor, and splendor. And this speaks to the Son of Man's divine existence as the Son of God. Because in Isaiah 48, verse 11, God says, I will share my glory with no other. But here in giving glory to the Son of Man, God the Father is simply sharing divine glory with God the Son, which Jesus spoke to in John 17, verse 5. Verse 14, a kingdom is given to the From the Ancient of Days to the Son of Man. This kingdom represents sovereign power and kingship. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the the son of King David and the everlasting king. He's the one that all Israel was looking forward to. He's the king our hearts long for. And I'm sure most of us in this room know and love just being where we're supposed to be. 
doing what we're supposed to do. Serving just how you were meant to serve, how God has wired you, and fulfilling the role you were gifted to fulfill. Whether it's in this church, your family, at a job, or on a sports team, it's simply a wonderful experience. Well, the Son of Man, King Jesus, in the perfect wisdom of God's sovereignty, fulfills the role of everlasting king. And that is a great thing, for he is the best king. That is not the role for me or you. Trying to fulfill that role, or now or whenever, would be like going to the White House, breaking in and demanding and telling them that you are meant to be the president. It just won't end well. We're to live in view of his throne, not to seek to establish our own. However, by God's grace, there is a role for Daniel. There is a role for the people of God in exile, as Daniel wrote this. And there is a role for us, church, my fellow saints in Christ Jesus. Verse 14 tells us next that gift, that role, and that purpose. Verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Why? That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Implicit in that word serve is worship. My brothers and sisters, this is where you're supposed to be. That is what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to serve, and the gifted role you were meant to fulfill, however God has wired you, serving and worshiping Christ Jesus, the Son of Man. Daniel's seen in this vision the glory of the Son of Man's kingdom, and the glorious in, in the glorious grace given to his saints to serve him. We don't deserve to serve him. It is a gift of God's grace to know him and to bring glory to him and to worship him with new hearts. In context, Daniel and the people of God were in exile, serving pagans. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, the people of God, along with all peoples, nations, and languages, were commanded to worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, and to serve him, if not for God's grace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have died in the flames for not doing so. But Daniel sees here, and this should encourage you, that all peoples, means every ethnicity, all nations, every country, in every language, without war, without strife, without division, but in humble unity amidst beautiful diversity will worship and serve the Son of Man, who we know to be King Jesus. Now that's a world I long to be in. Amen? It's prophesied here. That is our destiny, church, which should strengthen our faith, reassure our hope, and deepen our love, since this destiny is all of grace, as it was for Daniel and the people of God then. Verse 14 goes on, says his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man's kingdom is glorious because it's all-encompassing with all people without distinction, but it's also imperishable and indestructible. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It won't pass away. It can't be destroyed. 
It's often said that all good things come to an end, right? Great players retire, flowers fade, even your best day, your favorite day of all times. Think about it. It ended. But the dominion of King Jesus, the Son of Man, will never end. It's an everlasting dominion. It will never pass away. And even the reality of sin, death, and passing away will have died and be a thing of the past. His kingdom isn't for a season that we'll need to soak up, but an eternity for us to enjoy, chiefly enjoying him. The Son of Man's kingdom is glorious because it will never be destroyed, overtaken, or overthrown. Rather, King Jesus, the Son of Man, will reign undefeated and incorruptible. The first Adam's dominion was destroyed by Satan. But Jesus, the Son of Man, and second Adam, according to 1 John 3, 8, came to destroy the work of Satan. Yet, let us remember, in Genesis 3.15, says Christ, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of Satan, but the Christ will suffer being bruised in the process. This glorious kingdom of the Son of Man, seen here by Daniel, in redemptive history, or just most specifically we see in the gospel, was gained through suffering. In other words, the cross comes before the crown. This is actually made clear by the book of Daniel. In this very chapter, in verses 15 through 27, it's an interpretation of the vision. And in this interpretation, the Son of Man is totally absent, replaced by the saints who receive and possess the kingdom. This shows us, and this is consistent with the Old Testament as a whole, that the king is always tightly knit to his people, as are the Son of Man and his saints. Daniel 7.25 says, the saints will suffer from the earthly kingdoms, which implies the suffering will preeminently be upon the Son of Man as well. And Daniel 9.26 speaks of the anointed one, what Messiah, Christ, literally means, being cut off. And that's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man being lifted up to be crucified. After living the most beautiful life of love, perfectly loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, his Father, and the power of the Spirit, loving his neighbor as himself, fulfilling the law perfectly. Whatever age you are, if you were under 33, Jesus lived that long on this earth and never sinned. His life was incomparably beautiful. But in great humility, the Lord Jesus was crucified upon the cross as our Passover Lamb of God, taking away the sins of all those who believe in Him. It's pure grace that the wrath of God passes over us because it was poured out upon the Lord Jesus upon the cross. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We have all went astray, each one of us to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
The bloody cross of Christ is at the heart of the gospel. Our sins placed on him that his righteousness would clothe us in justification. He bore our curse so that we could know redemption. He suffered the wages of our sins so that we could receive and rest in the grace of his forgiveness. He rose again as he said he would that we might believe. And once again, if you have not come to know this Christ, believe in him today. Repent of your sins and he will receive you. He came for you, for people like you. The statement is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. His salvation, his kingdom is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty who will trust in him. The narrow gate is open. But see that the Son of Man's kingdom, the Lord Jesus' kingdom is glorious because he's the crucified king. His kingdom comes through the suffering of the cross. For Christ to reign as king over redeemed saints, he had to suffer as our substitute redeemer. And he did so with infinite immeasurable love and grace upon grace. There is no kingdom without the cross, but the risen Savior, the Son of Man, will reign forever and all us saints will serve him in unending, indestructible, everlasting, royal glory. So in light of the glory of his kingdom, some final encouragements. The cross comes before the crown for the Lord Jesus, and it does for us too. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Acts 14.22 says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. As saints and fellow heirs with Christ, we suffer with him, knowing that one day we will be glorified with him. In a moment's time in heaven, we'll make all of our sufferings not even compare. This doesn't mean that you look for the suffering and have some martyrdom complex, but we don't have to in the world as it is. They hated our master. So we'll encounter them hating us too. But take heart. That's why we have each other. And collectively look unto Jesus. Who endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. We consider him. Who endured from sinners such hostility. So that we don't become weary or faint hearted. May we daily come after him. And because we're coming after him, our treasure, our souls boast, and we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, trusting God to bring us safely into his kingdom. And he will, because he finishes the good work he started in us. But at the same time, church, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. We know how the story ends this should make us love our Bibles. It tells us and prophesies of the truth with Christ, the Son of Man on the throne. May we with renewed faith, enduring hope, and incorruptible love not only look to our King, but obey our King. We are bought for a price. We are not our own. We are redeemed and we belong to Him. Will we also take comfort in Him? And Jesus, speaking of his royal authority, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
as he drew near to doubting disciples who worshipped him, doubting their doubts, and trusted him. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. So what does that mean for us? Great commission. He said, so make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus, in, in, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of his commandments. Church, uh, let us give ourselves to making disciples, marking disciples in baptism, and maturing disciples in the means of grace. And Jesus finished the Great Commission by saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Our King is with us, and his glorious kingdom is ahead of us. Daniel 7 Verses 13 through 14 sets our gaze on the royal glory of the Son of Man, King Jesus. Paradise was once lost, but through him we know the paradise of the kingdom is coming. There will be no more Satan, no more sin, no more death. We will be glorified in the likeness of our Savior, the second Adam, the Son of Man, the Son of God, King Jesus. And we won't just hear him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We will see him and forever gaze upon his royal glory, the king in his beauty. May that day come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray to you in the precious, precious name of Jesus. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for Christ as the God-man. What grace you have shown to send him, to set him before us. What power, what kind power uh, your spirit has displayed and moving in us to give us new hearts and eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel and to embrace this Christ. I pray, Lord, for this precious church. I pray for every saint in here. We would keep looking to him and loving, and we love and live. In Jesus' name, amen.